business barns going out of biscuits. There's just Indian people everywhere. What's up with potted plants? You know, like, we don't even, what? Like, what? The Social Psycho Confabulation with Ben and Mr. A. Oh my God, what's wrong with you? I, dude, I have no idea. I have no long COVID fucking clue. I have this thing that happens and it is literally killing me. Like I cannot sleep. I'm waking up at like three and four o'clock in the morning, every morning. I cannot think. I have not done shit really in the past like week or two. I just can't, I can't think. It's like, it's so bad. So this morning at like four, I hear this clicking and it's the dog, one of the dogs apparently fell off the bed or something. I don't know. And Kim was like calling it. Anyway, I woke up, which I probably would have woke up anyways, because as soon as I woke up, I was like, wow, I can't breathe, which is a whole theme of my entire life. I've never been able to breathe. It's always an issue. I don't know what it is. I had the surgery for it. It was the worst surgery anyone could ever imagine going through. You were there for some of it when they put like... I was there. I was the chauffeur. Yeah. Like the recovery, they put these like clear tubes with like these fins. I don't even know how it fit in my nose. Like it was, but it was like two of them and they were like in my skull and they pulled them out of my nose because I was asleep when they put them in. And when they pulled them out, I was like, how was that in my head? I mean, they're like six inches long or something. I don't know. It's crazy. It was was shocking. Yeah. Truly shocking. (sighs) Anyway... That was probably worth it, but this morning, so this is a new thing I'm having, and I actually quit smoking cigarettes like a couple months ago for this very reason, because I thought, oh, I have cancer, and maybe I do, I don't know, but I wake up, I can't breathe out of my nose, of course, which is why I talk like this. I know, it sounds nasally all the time, it's annoying, and (laughs) I don't even notice, it doesn't bother me No one notices, anyone that knows me doesn't notice it, because I've talked this way my whole life. But I used to get called, people used to be like, are you gay? I'm like, no, I just talk like this. And it's probably because I'm nasally. And it's just people are like, we're like, well, he's dumb, so he can't be a nerd. Anyway. Oh, my God. So. He doesn't talk like that because he's smart. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. So this thing happens now in my lungs. And it I, it can be triggered by different things. So like if I watch something really funny and I laugh like a comedy or something that like actually gets me laughing, my lungs start burning and they start hurting really bad. Like so intensely my lungs and my, I don't even know how to describe it. It's so much sensation, right? Like right here around my throat and collarbone and lungs, like kind of where that, that, clavicle or whatever that thing is that divot Mm. right here that bone above your chest before your neck basically and it like so much sensation will be happening internally that i can feel it on my skin like i'll start itching my chest i'm like oh my god my chest itches so bad i'll start scratching it i mean it's 
I don't know what it is. So this morning I woke up with that and it was unbelievable. Like I literally thought I was going to go to the ER because I could not breathe. It's like, I can't even describe it. Like the, it's like my lungs are like cracking and crackling. And like, if I just take a deep breath in, even slowly, it's like, like, it literally sounds like I'm dying. It's unbelievable. And I can't, Weird. like I, once I feel it, I'm fucked. Like I can't sleep. I can't do anything. So I like took a bunch of fucking pills and shit. And then I finally decided to like boil some water, this pan of water, which I forgot about for like an hour because I didn't sleep and I'm out of my mind. And I just leaned over that for about 10 or 20 minutes and breathe that in. And that actually seemed to help. So I don't know. I don't know. There's also the basement is full of black mold that could be contributing factor. I don't know. I, whatever. Have you gone to a doctor? <sighs> Why don't you just go see someone and ask them about it? It sounds crazy. Well, my basic doctor, whatever they call those, like my general practitioner is a fool. Like they're not, I don't trust any doctors. I think they're all idiots. Like I literally <laughs> had a problem one time and I went in and they were like, oh, that's just the, I'm going to keep it private. But they were like, that's just this little thing. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then like three days later, I was in the emergency room getting like emergency surgery. So they don't know oh, anything. So oh, I I am considering going back to my ear, nose and throat doctor that did the surgery just to be like, can you tell me what is going on? But I, I kind of have, I have a feeling I know what's going to happen because I think our mother has problems breathing and she's like getting gets inhalers and stuff and i'm always like do you really have i've never heard you have like an asthma attack but if this is what she's experiencing Mm. then i totally get it like i don't know what it is but it is like it's like it's gonna kill me whatever it is is like the thing that's going to kill me for for sure because it is unbelievable like i can't believe i'm this young and like Again, the sound of my lungs, it's not a vocal thing, but it is sounds like there's voice coming from my lungs. Like, <gasps> like, what is that? I don't know. While simultaneously going, <laughs> like, just crack. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? And I went to bed oh feeling God. like normal, totally normal. I was just fine. I don't know what oh, it is. That's scary. So I'm not long for this world, folks. Help, uh, help us out. Share the show. Uh, like and subscribe. Do it for the gram or whatever they say. So we can afford Mr. A's treatment. You know, the first thing I thought was that it was a long COVID um, only as like a funny thing, because I literally was listening to this podcast where this lady was like, I have long COVID. Okay. And she was like, and I want everybody to stop asking me when I'm getting better. And she's like, I'm not getting better. Okay. This is chronic. And I was That's like, an what? interesting proclamation. <laughs> yeah, I was like, um, okay. And it just like, she went on and on. And it was like, look, I'm sick now, okay? I'm going to be sick forever for the rest of my life. I'm never getting better. I'm never getting over this, okay? It's like, very strange. It just See, what's really funny is like, insane sounding. I'm the opposite of that lady. I literally don't even believe in viruses, I don't think that COVID's real. I think that the whole thing was a scam and I, I like just, I just think of myself as like the healthiest person I know, even though I have pretty much no reason to, to hold that belief. I'm just like, I'm so healthy. Like I am so good. And what's (laughs) weird is I quit, I pretty much like I quit smoking and I was really expecting a much more dramatic change. And I'm like, this isn't worth it. Like I'd honestly, I'd almost rather just smoke other than the cost. Mm. Like it, it saves me a lot of money. I'm like, this isn't, I don't feel different. Like I, and 
in fact, like the little moments of peace that the cigarette can from time to time bring you is like, is that worth it? Like if I'm going to like conk out any day now anyways, because I have family members that smoked for like 50 years and lived to like 98. Mm. So it's like, I... yeah, what are the pros and cons <sighs> of quitting smoking? I'm not a smoker, so I don't know like what even the pros of smoking are and the cons of smoking. But yeah, what what? Could you do like an overview of smoking and non-smoking? Let's do that. So I have this book called, I think it's just called like The Easy Way to Quit Smoking or something. It's very famous. It's If you look that up, it's like, you'll figure it out. Like it's very, very famous. And it's like every story I've ever heard, like no one's ever finished the book. You just kind of, you go like, I'm going to probably maybe quit smoking and I'm going to read this book. Like that's the method basically. Read the book and you'll quit smoking. It's like the I, AA for non or quitting smoking. Uh, it's not quite because the thing I think the first trick of the book is that you're reading it because you do kind of want to quit smoking. So I think there is like a prerequisite there where you're like, I kind of don't want to be doing this anymore. Well, and, that's like AA, right? Like you go to AA when you want to stop. Yeah, but a lot of people have to hit a rock bottom. But this the saying in mm-hmm. AA a lot of times is rock bottom is where you stop digging. So oh, you, it could be kind of anywhere, you know, it could be but, you almost died or it could be you embarrassed yourself. You know, it could be anything. Hmm. I guess that's or, also like a society or whatever, a group you go to see people in person. There's a meeting. This just Yeah. Like, and there's sponsorship and the 12 steps and all this. This book is more just like here. Here's all the lies you tell yourself about smoking. And here's the hmm. truth. And you already kind of know it, you know, and it's like. It's like repeatedly telling, like, you smell bad, you smell bad, you smell bad. It's it's kind of like a brainwashing thing. And it it is true. Like the, so it just kind of points out the obvious things, the things that you remember when you want to quit, when you're like, damn, these cigarettes are like 10 bucks a pack now. That's out of control. You know, you just, so it's like, mm. this is very, this habit is very expensive. Nobody actually likes being around you when you're smoking. Nobody enjoys it except for you. You don't even enjoy it. And it is true that you come to this, you can get to this point where like, especially if you're like quite addicted, because I've, there's people that can like smoke a cigarette or two a day. And I wish I could be that person, but I really can't. It Like it ramps up pretty quick for me if I start smoking. Mm. And I don't like even how smoke, much usually where you smoke. I don't even smoke that much. Like I, if I smoked a pack a day, which is kind of, which is not abnormal for like smokers, like that's considered a smoker, like a pretty decent, mm. heavy smoker, like medically, they'll like have how many cigarettes are in a pack? 20. Oh, usually. wow. Whoa. So if you're smoking and I smoked American spirit cigarettes, which have like 50% more tobacco and it's whole leaf tobacco. So I would never smoke a whole cigarette at one time. I would smoke half a cigarette. But I do that with a lot of drugs. It's kind of a weird thing, and I don't even know if it's better for you because what it really did was prolonged the – it kind of like extended the smoking. You know, it's like so I'd smoke half a cigarette, wait 30 minutes, smoke another half of a cigarette, wait an hour to smoke a half a cig. You know, so whereas someone might smoke one cigarette and wait like an hour or two or three. But mm. if you think about a people that smoke a pack of cigarettes a day, that's 20 cigarettes, you're smoking more than a cigarette per hour. Of wow, your waking yeah. time. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you're smoking a lot. And the guy that That's wrote this crazy. book was, and, and our grandmother, she smoked like five packs a day at some point, you know? So it's, yeah. there's definitely a range of smokers, but I started thinking maybe I'm like sensitive to it, you know, just sensitive to like debris in the lungs. Cause I started having all that problems like breathing, but it was mostly at night. And I thought, I thought it was like heartburn. I didn't know what it was. 
GERD is this thing I decided maybe I had. But whatever it is, it's horrible. And the, really the only benefit that I got from smoking was, I don't really know. It's a stupid, it's like a stupid habit. Yeah, so how did you start smoking? Could you tell us about that? I was really how did you originally? young. Well, I wasn't that young, but I mean, I was probably like, I was definitely a teenager before you could buy them. So I was like not 18. And I had the first cigarette I think I smoked was I had this stupid girlfriend who like, you know, was edgy or whatever. And she smoked or oh. pretended to, I don't know. I always thought she kind of didn't inhale, it seemed to me. And I like ended up stealing some cigarettes or the cigarettes from her. And then one night I just went outside on the driveway and I smoked a cigarette and you, it's not like the first cigarette sucks. Like you feel sick, you, you're dizzy. It's not fun. It tastes horrible. I think that's why it's easier to become a smoker if you start young, because you are a little more malleable and you're doing it for mm. a cause almost. Whereas if you're like an like adult, a rebellion. Yes. So like if you did it as an adult, you'd be like, this is ridiculous. Like what? This tastes gross in my mouth. Why would I do this? But you do get to a point where you're like, I like it. Like I actually really enjoy, like, so I was, I really was upset when I quit about like coffee and cigarettes or a cigarette after a meal. Like, mm. Oh, so good. You know? And now when I like smell somebody's cigarette, which even when you, as a smoker, you can kind of be irritated by the smell kind of like always around you. You're like, but now when I smell a cigarette, I'm like, Oh, that's almost like smelling a cigar or a pipe. I'm like, it smells so good. So it is like weird. someone on a diet with people eating desserts around them or something. Yeah. And I think since I've quit, I think I've had like one cigarette. Like I tried one or something after quite a break. And I could get, I could tell, like I could get right back into this, but also I could taste it a lot more. I was like, ugh, like this actually is kind of gross in my mouth. Cause then it's after you're done, Mm. he sticks with it. But you've quit multiple times. Yeah, I quit for a long time one time. And the last time I quit and then started again, I think I started because I was like pissed off. You know, I was like in a fight or something. Mm. So. It is definitely like a self-hating thing. And then you could tell it's toxic because like there'll be times where I'm like when I would smoke and then like if things were like I was like depressed or, you know, whatever, like I wasn't happy. I could it was like an extra justification to keep smoking. You're like, well, who cares? You know, like I've got to die somehow. Might as well be sooner rather than later and doing what I want to do, which is kind of like what our grandmother was saying by the time she tied was like all i have left is coke zero and cigarettes like get the fuck off of my back like i'm gonna keep doing this <laughs> you know and she had like copd and stuff yeah would you say that those are like correlated like uh like more short-term thinking is when you're more likely to smoke or whatever or no that's what it yeah. sounded like when you just said that a second ago when you were like oh you know whatever i'm not gonna live very long i'm just gonna smoke and that's how our grandma was too a little bit well, I don't know. It may, it puts you in like, I mean, I think that to be someone who's like that. So I I literally just said this the other day. So now I do a nicotine replacement, like these little pouches that like have a some amount of nicotine in. And it's funny because I'm, I'm always like a mild self-medicator. Like that's how I am. Whereas I heard somebody like on a podcast, like was just talking and somebody walked in the room. They're like, oh, you're nicotine, you're doing your nicotine or whatever. And it was like, that guy loves nicotine. He does. He was doing something like I do, like one of those pouches. But he put six mm. of them in his mouth at one time, and I just put one. Is that a lot? I, I yeah. Oh. I mean yes and no. <laughs> when I was in this halfway house thing one time, 
I knew this guy that used to do, so he did cocaine and alcohol and he would just sit there and do an ounce of cocaine, drink a fifth of alcohol and read a book. Like that was his vibe. Like that's what he wanted to do. And he would dipped. And this dude would put so much dip in his mouth that a literally like a half a can of Copenhagen in his mouth at one time. It, oh his God. mouth did not close. He would put it in and his, it would be like this. It would oh just be open. And I would be like, what's going on with this guy? He's just dipping. He'd like, like just spit it out like that. I mean, it was a lot of nicotine. So I don't do like that. I don't like feeling too much of anything. I just like feeling a little bit of stuff. But you've always been a self-medicator. So what's, yeah, what do you mean by that? Well, I so I don't know. Like I, it's like, it's, I thought about it. So this is what I was about to tell the story. So the other day I was like, I was thinking about how I do this nicotine replacement thing. And I'm like, I just, it like dawned on me. Like, what would it be like to not do anything? Like to not do nicotine mm-hmm. at all, you know? And I was like, I I almost could not imagine it. Like it's like I could imagine it enough to where I almost was like as I was thinking about it, it's like I couldn't recognize myself. You know? Mm. Cause I was thinking of like just the, doing my daily activities, like the things that I do. So like I'll like go out to the garden or something and I'll like stand there. And sometimes I'm like like when I put nicotine in, I'll be like standing there and I'm like, uh, what do I, I need to do something. Like what do I want to do? I can't figure it out. Like, I don't know what I should do. I'll just, I'll put some nicotine in. Like, that's like step one. Like, Mm. I'm trying to figure out what I'm about to do. Step one, I'll just put some nicotine in. And if I just finish doing nicotine, it's like a little bit of a bummer because it's like, well, I just finished doing nicotine. Now I want to do it again. Sometimes I will do it right again. Like, whatever, you know. They call that chain Mm. smoking. (laughs) Like, when you light your other (laughs) cigarette with the lit, still lit cigarette so you can smoke the next cigarette. Which is a thing. Mm. But... So I started thinking about, but you know what it makes me think of? So I like, I'll think of like, like Greg, for example, our brother. Yeah. He like, he's pretty straight edge, you know, straight laced, straight, straight laced. Yeah. So yeah, when I was growing up, it was straight edge, but, um, Oh really? (laughs) That's interesting. I haven't heard that one. Yeah, and then I also a thing that disappeared was HXC. It was like a type, a way to type out HXC. It stood for hardcore. So are you like oh. straight edge? Are you straight edge or HXC? Anyways, shout out millennials, old millennials. Um, so I started thinking of like that kind of person. Like, what is it like to be a Greg type of guy? You know, and it's like so when you're in a social setting, like at dinner or something, like nine times out of ten, he's having a a tea, a sweet tea. You know what I mean? He's not having a beer or a strong drink or anything. And I'm like. Like, that's the kind of way that it's difficult to imagine myself without nicotine. You know, it's like imagining yourself at, like, a party, but you don't drink any alcohol. Or, like, a gathering. You know, we don't party party. None of us do. But, like, mm-hmm. like being at, like, a function, like a big family cookout or whatever, but, like, not having beer, just having regular drinks. And I'm guessing there's people out there that hearing would hear this and be like, yeah, and that's totally normal. Yeah. But I actually am a little shocked sometimes. Like if I go out to eat, you know, especially like on a Friday or Saturday and you see like a family or like adults and they're drinking iced tea. I'm like, what What are you doing? You know, see, I'm more like that person. I Really? really don't drink that much now. No, I I mean, I do at family gatherings and whatnot just because it's more normalized. But I notice 
Well, I will say this. I don't do a lot of substances or anything, really. And partly recently, I really, I notice how they affect me. I'm very sensitive to how they affect me. Like in the way that you seem sensitive to like yeah. being without drugs, I seem very sensitive to substances. Like even... Oh, I am too. That's why I don't do a lot of anything. Like I've been smoking pot for like a hundred years, but I do not like to get high. You know, like I don't do that. Like if I hit pot tw- two times and I'm like a veteran, but if I hit it two times, I don't like it. It's too much. I just want like a little tiny, like just like a, the tiniest little amount. I just want to barely notice it. And then like, that's good for me. Mm. Whereas yeah. nobody does it like that, you know? Yeah. No, I was going to say about like alcohol and even Kratom and other things, it's like, the it's really the lows that I can't stand. Like, I don't mm. mind, like, getting a little drunk or a little, you know, kick of whatever from this substance. But then I cannot take the lows the next day. I'm like, I would just rather have my normal experience. Like, it feels very stable, very steady, very good. I like the little kick, but I the low is, is worse to me. So, like, I would just how many... Like, how many beers does it take you on one night to notice that you don't feel 100% the next day? Like, one? Well, one. One, yeah. One, one. will do it. Yeah, it'll ruin my sleep. See, I, I think that you get accustomed to that. I think I... That's why I was thought that the smoking thing, though, would be so much more different. You know, that I would just, like, a couple weeks go by and I'd be like, whoa, I feel way better. And I'm like, why did that not happen? But I also do all the other things. So I need to, like, figure out how to stop doing I, I i really i this okay speaking of aa i really need to get cl- clean and sober like i i do <laughs> want to it, but and i you know i'm not like an an alcoholic or an anything addict like a bad addict but i am i'm like a okay i'm probably a functional addict is probably mm. the, the, like you're not like a raging drunk like picking fights with people or driving your car and wrecking it and getting duis and the kinds of yeah, things that people usually go to their psychologist for and they're like, look, I have a real problem. It's really hindering my life in these serious ways. Yeah, it's more like I do this and I don't know if I should. And if I lightly commit to like, maybe I won't do this today. At some point, I'll have the urge to do it anyways. And then I might like and I can drink. I can drink a lot of beer. Not at one time, but over the over a week, like a thirty pack of Pabst Blue Ribbon, which is what I buy because it's like less than thirty bucks. It's like a dollar can. I just and I like it. I am a little surprised by how quickly they disappear. But you probably don't drink all of them, though, do you? Do you drink the whole can? Sometimes I get I forget them. I lose them because I I move around a lot, and Kim will have a drink every now and then. But like just to be honest. This could be what's happening to me, to be honest. I should really try this out. You know what? I'm making a commitment today right here on the podcast. I'm not having any alcohol today. Okay, wait a minute. I already put Bailey's in my coffee this morning, but... Oh, my let, God. But, <laughs> hang on. Hang on. I hang don't on. have a problem. I'm not an alcoholic. I already <laughs> have Bailey's no, in no, my no. coffee. Hang on. The reason I did that is because I, I thought when I woke up at 4 o'clock, literally completely unable to breathe or catch my breath 
that I was like, I'm like, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen today, but this cannot go on. I cannot manage this day like this. Like, like I remember, like that was oh me this God. morning, like hacking, like, like oh I was coughing with horrible voice. Like it was like not good. And so that's the, I never do that. I don't ever it's like totally we've had that Bailey's for months and months and months. Like I don't usually have Bailey's in my coffee. Okay. Sure. Okay. That's very rare. Cause actually day drinking makes me tired most of the time. Like I don't like the feeling of like, I don't like drinking mimosas. I will because I have a, like if everyone else is, but immediately when that mimosa is gone, I'm like, okay, it's time for a nap. Like I don't feel good anymore. Like this is not what I want to feel like during the day. So it's usually for me, it's like, it's never before noon. But because I don't have like a desk job, I can have a beer like after lunch or at two or three or four. Mm. And so it was, it would not be totally abnormal for me to have two to four beers on a work day, which is probably excessive. Yeah. Not every day and not all the time, but it's a, it's a bit and it's very spread out, mm. which is probably part of the problem. I'd probably actually enjoy myself better if I drank two beers back to back and then just quit, you know, cause it'd be get the full kind of woohoo and then just go to bed afterwards <laughs> rather than going, Oh, it's like three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm kind of done doing what I'm doing today. I'll have one. I'll have another. I'll cook dinner. I'll have one while I'm cooking dinner. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay. We're going to watch a TV show after we eat or while we eat, I'll have one now, you know, while we're watching and then just, I, we also don't drink anything else. So like my, this is why I was saying earlier, I'm like a healthy person because my vices are the vices and everything else is water and vegetables. You know what I mean? Like I don't drink, mm. I don't eat processed food. We don't drink anything but like herbal teas and water and then alcohol. That's it. So, but anyway, so you're going to make a commitment though. So, so I'm tomorrow not, I'm not drinking today and I won't drink. Oh, Tomorrow. But your Baileys, you already had some Baileys. Well, today. I didn't even finish that coffee, probably because it has Baileys in it. And it was like doing the opposite of wake me up. But I read online because I was trying to figure out what was happening to me this morning. It was like drink caffeinated beverage. So I drank one and I was like, well, I guess I'll drink another one. And a little bit of alcohol can kind of like potentiate medications sometimes. So mm -hmm. I took that flu, all that flu medicine. And I was like, I'm just going to have like a dash of this in here just to like I needed to be in high gear because I can't breathe. So I just wanted everything to be like boosted a little tiny bit. As I'm saying this, it's, it's probably sounds like I'm a crazy person. It, the prod, podcast is literally called social psycho. So it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, well, yeah, it'll be interesting. I wonder how in or out of the norm you are. I also probably need to quit smoking pot. Because I've noticed, so when you mm. smoke cigarettes, you cough sometimes. You know, not when you're smoking, but you just, you know, I noticed I cleared my throat and coughed more than most people, which I'm always going to be like that. I always have been. My dad does it too. He's like a very- Like a smoker's cough. It wasn't really, but it was like, I noticed that I do it, whereas like Kim doesn't do it. So like that mm. sound you do, I do that a million times a day. But my dad, even growing up, like I got bad habits from him because he always used to spit out the window constantly. Roll the windows down. Oh like my that god, was that is all disgusting. the time. I'm gonna cut that out. And I do, <laughs> I do that all the time. Now I don't make the noises, but I'll I spit a lot. Like I I just I'm like constantly doing that. Does anyone like to swallow any quantity of saliva or mucus? Like it's kind of gross. 
So, oh my god, I don't do that. Well, I mean, <laughs> so, you're doing it all the time. It's whatever. But I quit smoking, and when you do quit smoking, because I did this in rehab once. Boy, there's a lot of stories that haven't been told that are being kind of brought into this a little bit. But so I was in rehab once, and I was not 18. Mr. A tells all. Yeah, this is expose. I actually had a lot of other topics to talk about, but anyway. And so there was a lot more, it was like healthy stuff, you know? So no smoking because you're not 18 and that would be illegal. So you have to go in with the not 18 year olds and be regular. So I did. And so there's like gym time and like hangout time and therapy time and all that. And I know, especially during gym time, we would kind of like shoot some basketball or whatever. And then I would wait, sorry, can I pause you? So this was a, why did you go? And then what kind of place was this? I don't remember. I don't remember how I got into this one. Like, was it for pot? They would probably say it was for pills. But I would kind of do... At that time, I didn't really have a pure drug of choice, probably. Okay, so you were just abusing substances. Pot was a constant, and pills were... I probably preferred pills. I would say I probably still do, but not all the pills I was trying... Like, the ones I would... I'd really sought out, like, Klonopin and Xanax... But you Which, know, I don't. Klonopin even, what, is a painkiller, and Xanax. No, Klonopin is like a Xanax, but stronger. But really, oh. it, it's kind of like it's a little more maybe sad, sedating. Maybe it's kind of like it's like kind of like Xanax. Aren't they like anti-anxiety, anti-stress meds, or whatever? Yeah, panic, like panic disorder stuff. Oh, okay. But, okay. Which I don't have that. I just did it recreationally, and um. But the people in there, so they were there. It was just rehab for all sorts of things, or whatever. But for young people. Yeah, this one actually had like, you would get a folder, at least in the wing that I was in, you would get either a red folder or a blue folder. And if you had the blue folder, that meant you were there for psychiatric problems. If you had a red folder, you were there for drug problems. Oh, so it was like, it was like an inpatient facility. So most people are not there for very long. For some reason, I was there for like a month, which is unheard of. And everyone liked to tell me that it was like eating into my college fund and whatever else because it's very expensive but i was there and then i went to a halfway house well while, while i was in there i would like exercise and not smoke and i would mm, cough up mm-hmm. this like whatever i it's gross but whatever disgusting Plim. stuff and it would be mm. like not clear it would be like bra- black or brown like just tar stuff you know basically mm. which eventually clears up i think the pot just the one or two little puffs though this pot is like full of tar. Like if you hit a bong, a brand new bong, like three or four or five times, it turns like black very quickly and just full of like liquid resin. So I think there's some something to be considered there with mm-hmm. how much crap is in pot smoke. So I can still, I still will have that even though I've quit smoking. So I think that even just that very little amount of like combustible cannabis still kind of deposits that crap in your lungs. Mm. Oh, so that's why you were saying you should stop it. I should probably stop because I'm like, oh, I quit smoking. It's not working. Well, it's like I, maybe I should like chill fully on everything and just see if anything changes. And I think part of me is like afraid that it won't and that I'm like my misery actually isn't caused by me and that that would be like actually worse, that I'm not causing my own misery, that it's just miserable to exist. Oh, my God. But uh, That is an interesting conundrum because uh, – yeah, I guess I, it reminds me of our grandma, like kind of 
And it's a little different, I guess, when people are older. But when she was up in her age and thinking about quitting, because uh, she did quit smoking. I think she was in her 60s, uh, and she had smoked her whole life. But she quit for a couple months, I think. Maybe even a year. I don't know. It was a very long time. But uh, I did kind of think, like, you know, why are you quitting now? Like, all of the damage, the real damage that can be done by smoking, I think, has, like, already been done. And so I don't know that quitting at this point is really going to have any significant benefit other than maybe, like, a psychological one. Like, you're not dependent on the smoking and maybe there's room for other things in your life. But, uh, yeah, I did notice that was a little weird. And I, I guess I wondered, yeah, so the quitting, pros and cons of that. Because I could see how if you quit, maybe you would think, like, oh, like some of the stuff that I, you know, don't like about when I'm not doing this are not worth the benefits to me of not doing it. So, yeah, kind of wondering. It sounds like there's some physical maybe detriments of quitting, like you feel worse, at least for a, a period of time. Um, but yeah, what yeah. are the, what are the well, benefits the, of not smoking or not well, doing plus something? Plus the, plus the propaganda. So like it's, there's something that there's a mind control that they put over non-smokers and smokers. So like non-smokers <laughs> think that smokers are crazy for smoking and smokers mm. are like told that you're literally definitely like the vibe that you get from like the messaging is you're definitely going to die from this. Like a hundred percent, this is killing you a 100% one of the most unhealthy decisions you could ever possibly make. And that may be true, but there's also conflicting scenarios. Like my grandfather who smoked for 50 years, like a chimney and lived his whole life and then quit before he died. It was fine. You know what I mean? Like, but it's just, Right, it's not a sure thing that you'll get really sick and die, and you can get really sick and die of other Without things. Without it, yeah. yeah. Kim knew, like, a runner, and he, like, didn't smoke at all. He was a runner, and then he just, like, got stage four lung cancer, you know? And it's like, well, yeah. So yeah. there's a something going on there with all that messaging. But I will say the biggest benefit, for sure, nowadays, with the scam, when I was first smoking... I, especially if you were like a bargain hunter, you would always go in and just look at the cigarettes and figure out which ones were BOGO, buy one, get one. They came in a two pack, like a little cardboard box that held them together. And you get like two packs of a decent cigarette for like three bucks, four bucks, maybe five. Mm. It's like 250 a cigarette, you know, a pack. I quit recently. I have paid $10 for a pack of cigarettes. I know I smoked the organic, you know, all the extras, a couple bucks extra, but even the other brands are pretty high, like very expensive. So like for me, the one of the main things is like, I'm not spending that money and the nicotine replacement stuff is way cheaper, which is highly uh, noteworthy. There's something going on there. Like what's changed in the past couple of years that made them quadruple in price? I don't know. But that's for sure huge. Yeah. Well, there's definitely sin taxes, like their tax. Yeah, that's now probably a lot of it. To be. Um, and yeah, I think the idea was that, yeah, that would make sense to me. You know, some behavioral economists would say, you know, we should make the nicotine replacements cheaper or whatever, because they're better for you. Uh, the cigarettes should be more expensive or something. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think... Uh, it's interesting to me because the argument there would be that people who smoke 
like that being the worst choice, like the cigarettes being the worst choice, is because people who smoke will tell you self-reportedly that they don't want to smoke, that they would prefer to do the nicotine patches or whatever and get off smoking. So I do think that's like an interesting phenomena with like smoking in particular. Like, I guess I don't meet many people who smoke who are like, I love smoking. You know, most people are like, I wish I would quit. You know, like I should stop doing this. It's not good. Like these don't even taste good. It's that, both. That's a little it's, weird. It both ha- it comes to you at the same time. Mm. Like you, you do love it and you do hate it. Like you, you, you know how a, much of a mundane activity it is. Like when I smoked that one cigarette in the middle of my quitting, just holding that little thing, I was like, this seems so small. Like it's just this little thing in my hand. Like it's weird. Like it's just a weird little thing, and it's on fire. And I'm just like, you know, puffing it away. And it's like, what is this? Like, whereas when I used to smoke regularly, it was like a fixture on me. You know, like I always had them. I always knew where they were. I never ran out. There's like videos of me like working on stuff out in the yard from like before that like Kim has. She'll show me and I'm like, I've always got a cigarette. You know, I'm just like, I'll be Mm -hmm. building something. There's a cigarette hanging out of my mouth and it's in my hand or, you know, I'm setting it down on the little rock while I'm gardening. Yeah. Well, on them being little, that's an interesting component of it to me because I do think that's part of the addictive quality of them is the, that they're not a lot. Like people don't get addicted to, for example, uh, psychedelics because partly I think because they're so strong, like they're very, very intense experiences Um, And so the high can be really high and the low can be really low or just the depth of your experience can be really intense. The the change in state that you experience can be really vast. And so you don't get addicted. Whereas if you take a small amount, I think you're more likely to find that like, oh, this is something I could do over and over long term or whatever. And I was even thinking I'm actually in New Mexico currently where the Hopi tribe exists. And so there's something called Hopi tobacco, and it's a very strong tobacco that they use ceremonially. And so someone was selling... I'm growing that. Oh, okay. Very interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So someone was selling these ceremonial pipes and uh, to smoke the tobacco. And for them, it's actually uh, a ceremonial thing. Um, actually, Michael Pollan did some ceremonial tobacco on... Uh, he wrote a book about drugs, and then... Yeah. And then he did, there's a series about his book series on Netflix. And he does it in there. And it's a very intense experience, the tobacco experience. So the ceremonial thing is just very, it's a very intense experience. And I could see how you wouldn't want to do that all the time. This strong tobacco, this, you know, quantity of it and whatnot and the way they do it. And so I was thinking a little bit like that is kind of part of how you get hooked is like, it's a small little thing. It's not a lot of it. Um, And it's easy. You know, it's yeah. not like, and I did, there was part of me that recognized that as well. Cause we grow like, like I can, I grow some Hopi tobacco usually and a little bit of Jasmine tobaccos. And part of me was like, you know, that's, they're very similar to like, it's like someone I've read somewhere that like tobacco is like the mother of all plants or something in that this is like a metaphysical thing that i read but it's like something like an indian tribe or something believe like so like the the tobacco was like the mother and the cannabis was something else you know what i mean like there was some Mm. whatever some mythology around it and i was like you know that's interesting because ultimately it is a plant and i'm kind of into that kind of stuff and the fact that the plant was so commercialized in like little packs from like a factory rolled in these little tubes with a little filter and all you know there's something odd about that to me as well very like industrial and kind of distasteful 
So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There's also the tactile element of it, too, that's kind of, you know, I think that can be very addictive. Like, it's just a little tiny thing. It's so cute, you know? Like, that's, like, an yeah. interesting component of it. Now, I will say that I don't think the vape stuff is any better. I will say that. I've tried both, mm. and I, the vape stuff, I mean, that stuff, I think, is harder on your lungs. Mm. I'm, it does weirder stuff to me, for sure, at least me personally. Interesting. I was going to say, um, the other thing I was thinking when you were just talking about your experience was, the like you don't have like a date a desk job or whatever and so you kind of you know maybe do these things alcohol or whatever uh smoking or drugs uh during the day and i was thinking well that's also probably pretty common like i've seen people who do manual labor do that like uh people who build houses or work in construction you know like sometimes they'll just sit on the site you know you'll watch them and they'll crack open a beer or something in the afternoon or at lunch and they'll play loud music and oh yeah when i used to work at that pallet manufacturing place dude we would drink i mean sometimes like we would drink like the boss would drink like i mean because you're out there in like 120 okay right right like 100 degree weather and just lifting by hand like a hundred pallets every couple hours you know you're just by the end of the day you can barely you literally can barely move it's extreme and then i feel like you are like fully justified in doing that because it's it's like basically like taking the ibuprofen you know what i mean that's what i was thinking i think other people too would think like oh that's more acceptable than like someone who's just drinking wine or beer or smoking pot at their desk job, you know, in corporate and it, office. Well, yeah, and it can make you more effective. You're like wore out. You can barely move. You're starting to get tense, you know, and you like have a beer or two in the afternoon heat. And then you're like, okay, I, I can go through the rest of these. I, I can load this up. I can unload these now. You're just more, a little more capable. And probably the smoking thing, the same thing. You know, I used to like, I've done like both like desk stuff and other manual labor stuff, but Sometimes at a desk, it's like nice to like have a cigarette and read, or like have a cigarette and try to work or whatever. At least mm-hmm, conceptually, mm-hmm. it is, but it's a little distracting. You know, mm. it kind of interrupts your attention a little bit. Whereas oh. when you're doing like manual mm. stuff, like you almost sometimes physically need the break, anyways. Like, okay, I just dug three feet down with a shovel. I'm gonna stand here for a second and like just go, oh, damn, you know. And it's like, okay, that's when you grab your drink and you drink something because you gotta drink something. You know, Gatorade, whatever, something, because you're sweating like a stuck pig. And then, you know, you pull your cigarettes mm-hmm. out, hit a cigarette. I've worked with guys that they do that too. And they'll like throw out, like they'll hit the cigarette three or four times and just flick it out, you know, just throw it on the ground, step on it. It's a half a cigarette, mm-hmm. you know. I yeah. I would put them back in my pack because I'm cheap, but they would just throw, you know what I mean? So it's just like, I just needed a minute, like just reset. I just need a little moment of something I like just for a second, please, you know, cause I've just got to keep digging this hole in a minute and I don't want to, and I got to rest, you know, and then back to, back at it. Yeah. It is interesting. I mean, I think there's something a little more functional about it in that, uh, situation maybe where people say, you know, like maybe are doing the alcohol or whatever, or the nicotine. So say you're doing alcohol at the build site or whatever, it maybe makes you more ready to go lift things and whatever. And, and more courageous, like alcohol gives you courage a little bit, you know, like let, lowers your fear and maybe that like helps you do hard, difficult work or whatever. So I could see there being some benefit. In a similar way, I could see people who do desk work getting a benefit from nicotine because nicotine, it's interesting you said the thing about smoking, like the smoking, the activity of it might distract you. Um, and that's interesting. But Well, when you're like writing and you're trying to take notes and flip pages and stuff, it's like 
the concept mm. is nice, but it's like, unless you're just really well set up for it, it's kind of difficult. But yeah. now that I have these nicotine replacement, I'll totally do like computer work or something. Yeah, because I was going to say the actual drug is supposedly actually increases your focus or whatever. It's really good for yeah. cognitive work. And and there's a, there's a scientist or whatever, a researcher who studies nicotine or whatever, and he's like, addicted to it or whatever and it's really interesting he doesn't yeah, smoke a, i think there's a whole group of them that do that like these scientists that take a bunch of nicotine yeah yeah so and i think there's something interesting and functional about it so that was the the whole thing i wanted to kind of maybe wrap up with is like i think uh yeah it's not really good or or bad i think it's really what we're judging is almost like the cost benefit trade-off or something like like, is this worth it? You know, like, we know these things have risks or whatever. And I think that's really the thing that that people kind of look down upon as someone just, like, using drugs, like, whistlessly or whatever to, like, as an escapism. Like, there's no real benefit to this other than, like, psychological escape for the person. Yeah, I wonder if they've done rat studies with nicotine. Like, is it really that addictive? Because I've always thought, and we can get off this whole nicotine thing, but... I always thought maybe there was some component of propaganda that made it such a habitual habit. Cause it's like, if you're a smoker, you're a smoker. And a lot of those people smoke a lot, you know? And it's like, mm. but there's other things that you can do like that. And you don't have to do a lot. Like I know chewing gum exists. I don't hate chewing gum, but like I don't do it as compulsive. But maybe if I did, you know, maybe if you have a bowl of candy or mints on your desk at work, maybe ultimately by the end of the day, you have had 10 pieces of candy, <laughs> you know? Cause you just keep going, Oh, been an hour i'm gonna have one i'd want another one of these right you just throw it in you don't even think about it yeah so maybe that's just that maybe that's all there is to it yeah yeah i don't know i did want to ask you though the last thing maybe um yeah so why don't you quit cigarettes or the nicotine or anything that you do like the any of the things you've mentioned you only do a little bit but you do it all the time so yeah. what's preventing you from from quitting really because I guess in my mind, I think, and I think other people who might hear that would say like, well, if you're only doing a little bit, like how hard could it be to quit? Like why even bother doing it a little bit? Like why not just do none? I don't know. There's, I think there's really, for me, I think there is some weird, deep psychological thing going on that really is very Freudian. And it's like, I think it incorporates the story of the cigarette, like who you are if you smoke what groups that puts you in, what groups it excludes you from, but also what story you're told about it as far as like what it's doing to you, what the habit truly is. Like, oh, you're smoking, so you like, you're killing yourself. You're unhappy. You hate yourself. It's hurting mm. you. Why do you harm yourself all the time? And it's like, so I think once you incorporate all of that into the, like, the narrative of yourself and your life and your habits, I think it does something to you. So that's like I was saying when I'm like, who would I be without anything? And it's difficult to imagine becoming a sweet tea guy, you know, for example, because I don't know, like that person is good, you know, and I'm not good. That person is like mm. boring and I'm not boring. That person is like concerned about being righteous and I'm like the devil, you know what I mean? Like, I think I'm just saying like, I'm, I'm trying to dig deep. Like, I think those kinds of things are there like really deep because there's a, an association with 
maybe increased smoking and like negative aspects of my life, you know? So like when I quit and I went back to it, it was like a really hard moment in my life. And that's when I decided to smoke again, you know? So there's something to it that's like, fuck everything, you know, it's like rebellious, but it's also like, I'm bad. This is bad. That goes with me. I mean, you know what I mean? Like there's just so much odd so it's difficult because then you like you don't really know anymore too after like 15 years you're like what what would i have been without any of this Mm, like when you think of your best self like do you envision any drugs like when you if you think like me at my best like the best version of me would there be any maybe but what but less no Mm. probably not you know like Mm. i think that like, so all those things I just said that go along with it, like, mm-hmm. are, like, part of the identity. And so it's, like, also, who is the best self? You know, what about my true self will I have to confront without it? Mm-hmm. You know, like, who am I really? You know, because then I'm, now I'm putting in effort. I, I used to have this thing with church mm-hmm. when I was younger where I would, like, whatever. I don't know if we've talked about how crazily our religious situation was younger like how much there was just in general but i have had plenty of experiences where the more into that i got and the closer to it i got and the more involved in it i got the the worse i felt more shame more guilt more self-hatred and so what i do making conscious opposite choices doesn't cause that for me really it causes a more manageable version of self-hatred so, you know, mm. you know what I'm saying? Like, does that even make sense? Like, like you can control it or something. Like, is that part of it? Like, I can I can do the drugs. And in, in some way, it's like I could also stop and that would make me okay or whatever. Like, this is some form of badness that I'm in control of versus like maybe the hellfire Christian narrative is like you're deeply flawed and sinning and you can't stop sinning and it's really, really, really difficult to stop and maybe you never can and you're, you know... Something like that. Something along those lines where like I'm embodying something more true in the fact that I'm making conscious choices associated with this version. It all matches up, you know, like, Hmm. yeah. Like if I decided to all of a sudden one day be like, I don't know, like a drug trafficker big time, you know (laughs) what I mean? Like, You'd think that might come along with a lot of like moral qualms, but I could embody that to some extent and deal with and accept and just tell myself that story. Like, you know what I mean? Whereas something about the opposite of that was really challenging. So I don't know. Maybe there's like a vulnerability to it. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And I I really didn't like the uh, alternative. But I think for me personally, there maybe is a best self somewhere in the future and that I needed to fully understand the other possibility, like this possibility of like the depths of the potential as a neg- in a negative sense of who I could be, like what is really fully possible, kind of like going to the dark to mm. understand the light or whatever, you know what I mean? Sure. There's, I think there's an aspect of that because I think that as I've dabbled, I've found that some of the things that some people apparently know automatically, I found to be true, you know, not automatically, but in some way that like, oh, this does 
get more and more extreme. You know, this mm. does, you do eventually want to go, well, a little more, uh, a little extra, no matter what, whether it's in like drugs, sex, and being like, just being edgy in general, you know, like how, how twisted can it get? You know what I mean? Like, and it, mm. it's like, oh, it's actually not satisfying. So when you try to satisfy those things, because like, which is one of the things I find with this all, like this transgender and all the other shit that comes along with the LMNOP part of it is like, I'm, I see that and I can't say this to people and like make it coherent because I think you have to just go there and see for yourself if you want. But that, that there, there's an aspect of that kind of never ending. What are you really trying to satisfy there? And when it's carnal, then something is wrong about it. Something's not right about it. And this is a thing that I've explained in the podcast before that I don't understand the sins against yourself versus the sins against others. I understand not to hurt people. And I have perfect understanding of that. Not hurting myself and not doing things that are bad for you on other kinds and other ways and psychological ways or whatever. I don't understand those because I have the notion that live and let live people can do whatever they want to do as long as you're not hurting other people or kids especially blah, blah. you know that's like so common people to say that nowadays as long as you're not hurting kids and hurting other people and everything's consensual then i don't care that's fine it's like well i can think of a lot of things that don't hurt kids and other people that don't seem obvious yeah that aren't good that, for you that that may not be good in some other kind of way the opposite you know? of that is like uh yeah can't love anyone else until you love yourself you know that kind of thing i think there is something definitely true about that like and don't sell and we're selling kind of like the you're selling it as as like do what thou wilt is good for you don't be repressed oh live your true self that definitely do does get want. twisted yeah. you know what i mean it's like whoa whoa wait like you're gonna really fuck people up with that message like you can really if yeah. you if i got that message in my younger days with what i was exposed to and the kind of experiences that i had I would be on the streets in a bad way. Mm. You know, like someone would have whooped me up and sold me somewhere. And I'd probably be like in the jungles of Vietnam as a sex slave. I'm just saying like, you know what I mean? Like, cause if I would have been getting that kind of messaging versus what I did get, which would have been like, there's good choices and bad choices, son. There's things that you should not partake in that you should not listen to that you should not look at that you should not do. And it was like, at least there was someone there telling me to maintain that struggle, to maintain that internal struggle, to maintain that shame, maintain that guilt to some extent. Because I remember some of those conversations, like it with my mom, like our mom, be like, Yeah. Oh, this makes me feel bad. She'd be like, Well, don't do that. I'd be like, Oh. Mm-hmm. So, like, which is not, well, do do that. It's okay. You don't have to feel bad about it. Just do it and don't worry about it. And it's like, Oh, so don't do it at all? Oh, that's hard and that's weird. But I, so I don't, I, that fucked me up however it fucked me up or helped me however it helped me. What I have no idea about is what happens when you tell someone the total opposite of that. Yeah. You know, do do that. Do that more and just don't feel the pain of it. Just do that more and don't feel shame about it because it's okay. You are that. It's okay to be this other thing or to what, you know what I mean? I, I don't know what that does to you. Yeah. I mean, it is really, yeah, it's so complicated because. Yeah, there's such a depth of thinking on this topic. Like Freud did a lot of thinking on this, a particular, like about shame. Um, because it, like one thing I remember vividly from his book, uh, Civilization and Its Discontents, is like 
he would talk about like civility and he would be like, what's up with potted plants? You know, like we put T- little potted potted plants outside of our houses, you know? And, and it, by like, the way, that <laughs> potted plants suck. Like, they they look good, but like honestly, you need like a four hundred dollar pot that holds like twenty, you know, like a hundred and fifty dollars worth of soil in it. Otherwise, it dries out. It doesn't have enough nutrients. Every potted plant I ever do sucks. It never works. Right, right, yeah. and that's his yeah. point. It's like it has no functional utility. It's not good for the plant. Like it just signals like civility it signals something about like your psychology that like it's like the manicured yard you are a thinking thing you know and to other thinking things like you are a civilized person i'm conquering (laughs) i'm conquering nature i'm civilizing conquering yeah yeah and so there's something yeah about that it's like deeply tied in with the shame and like the guilt you know like I understand what to be ashamed of and what to be ashamed of is like having your house in disorder and not, you know, having the potted plants outside, you know? And so it's like, it's a whole weird psychological thing that's going on with civilization and modern humans and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I was thinking as you were saying all of that. Yeah. Well, cause the Christian narrative, I think you don't want to dispense with the shame. Like it really is like, it is like a guiding force and it, it's something like I've heard it put this way is that it helps you identify the ideal, like straying from it also helps you locate yourself in relation to the ideal. And so that shame or guilt response is almost like a, it's like you have both, you have the ideal, like what you're striving for. And you also understand how you are maybe falling short of it. And that's a good thing, like to have both, like to understand. And I think that that's the, transcendent self-love like love yourself before you love other people message that I that resonates with me is like no you can have both and both are okay and the transcendent love encompasses both it's like you are not going to be the ideal you kind of need them to have any you how can you know where you are without a reference point right it seems like you need those two and that's how you know where you are I think at all in your life anyway because if you were just at the ideal you wouldn't even know where you are located because there'd be no discrepancy to even make you conscious of the fact that you are anyone or anywhere and so I think you actually that's like deeply embedded in like who you are like understanding yourself is like the ways in which you fall short of the ideal because that helps you locate who you are and where you are and what you are and it also helps you discover the ideal in falling short of it. Yeah, it makes me really worried for white people. Because <laughs> we're told, like, we just don't have any reference point. You're not any, because everything of yours is a vestige of a problem and needs to be removed. So you have no tether point, no reference point, And now you'd just mm-hmm. be told where to go, told where to stand, told what to think, told who's deserves to be in your place whether it's you or not we'll find out but you don't know and so you don't talk you don't have an opinion you don't get to voice something and i think we should take a quick bathroom break and come back and talk about that because i have other topics on that in my notes but i have to pee so bad okay we'll take a quick bathroom break okay I know we talked about it already, but I'm so thrown off by this because there are so many Indian people around here. Oh it is unbelievable. You and the Indian people. I don't understand it. See, I and it's not a 
I like an anti-diversity thing. I don't give a shit about diversity. It's I, actually not diverse because because it's, it's mostly it's Indians. Only Indians because we've it's Georgia. It's this city specifically and whatnot. This little general area. It's always been white people and Mexicans, and everything is smooth. It's fine. There's no like racism or anything. I mean, a little bit, but not bad. But those are the biggest groups of people, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're just it's just common. You know, and it has been forever. There's like agriculture and, you know, it just brings these two people together. But now, all of a sudden, there's just Indian people everywhere. Like, the yearbook for my little, I guess, brother-in-law is he is like a white face in a sea of brown Indian faces. And it is so perplexing. And I started looking it up to see if anyone's talked about this, like just articles, anything, somewhere. Like, what is going on? Why is this happening? And all I can find, every single article is the same. All of them, whether it's the New York Times, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Forsyth County, news, local news, whatever, anything, all of it. You guys... Used to be, this county in particular, used to be a bunch of racist, bigot, Ku Klux Klan-loving psychopaths. And now, there's a bunch of fucking Indians. Like, it's totally unrelated to Indians. Indians were never here. We're talking about Indians from India. So they have absolutely zero, nothing to do with any of the Ku Klux Klan stuff. Any of that. Never were even, it's a hundred years later. Makes no sense. But every single article somehow wraps that in and talks about these particular marches sponsored by the Ku Klux Klan down here and these other marches that were like anti that. And it's like, and then continues to just say absolutely nothing about the Indian population except for there's a shit ton of Indian people coming to Forsyth County. I just outed myself where I'm from. But it's like, (laughs) that is so weird that there's no real journalism on it. It's just, you're white, so shut the hell up, you racist person from a racist place. And these Indian people are great. And I looked at, I started digging and like the sponsorship for like these, there's like all these Indian organizations now that are like trying to create a community. There's a, in Forsyth County, there's a 60 acre cricket field. We don't even, what? Like what? And I started looking at like sponsors for these groups that are moving into this county in particular that used to be in Atlanta and now they're coming here because this is like the headquarters there's like hundreds of thousands it's not just me like there's hundreds of thousands of Indian people in this county now and there used to be like Mm. zero and this has happened in the past less than 10 years it's over more than doubled in less than 10 years to the tune of hundreds of thousands of people and it, they predict that in less than 10 more years, it will be less than 50% white people in this county. In this particular area. Oh. In this area. Mm. Yeah. Less than 50% white people. And I think it's already there because it's, well, it's already just over 50%. So already minorities, whatever they consider those, basically make up half the population. Yeah. Well, I think in the country, it's like that. It's the fastest growing Indian population in the country, I'm pretty sure, Mm. Forsyth County. It's like, I can't, I don't know what's happening. I do not understand. So I'm trying to get to the bottom of that. I just, so that's just a little bit of a tangent to the whole white people get to say nothing because there's all these like organizations and stuff that are popping up and support this and support that and funded by like McKesson and 
cognizant and all, all these big mega corporations are like helping to fund this Indian what's the opposite of an exodus entrance you know I, I don't know it's very odd and they're they're admitting that like the primary reason and what they were doing initially was taking all their money and sending it out of the country like that's blatant in the articles and now mm -hmm. they're like oh but now we feel a little bit obligated like literally it made it sound like we kind of got a like a come to jesus moment for a minute but which and for me is like code for like we realize people are going to start fucking hating us if we keep doing this so now we donate locally as well and it's like okay but it's all this Indian stuff. But then it'll be like randomly like, oh, so we gave like $500,000 to the Children's Health of Atlanta or which is here as well. Mm. You know, just, I don't know, just odd stuff. I, I, I've got to figure out. I don't know. I mean, the coverage of it might just be its own weirdness. You know, like I, I do notice that like stories about just random things will get tied into like narratives that you've heard before. But you're like, this really has nothing to do with this particular topic. Like I was reading something about tenure how professors get tenure and then for some reason there was like a bit in the article about like anti-racism and like race theory and what and it was like this has really nothing to do with tenure um and they drew this like weird obscure connection and that's fine but yeah so i think maybe there's just like some weird journalistic stuff going on in narrative building that doesn't really have anything to do with it i will say to me it just strikes me as like because I had some Indian friends that did send money back to their families abroad. And I think that that's pretty common for people in America to come to America, immigrants, and then send money to their families abroad. But what do you um, think about that? Is it on its face, it's fine. And I don't even mind the sending back money, whatever. But it's growing. So, like, I've always said this, too, when I started seeing it happen. I was like, I don't really care. The Indian people kind of just, they interact fine. They don't, they seem to and try to try to integrate with in white spaces or whatever you want to call it like they go to walmart and stuff you know it's like they're not like hiding out and they're a little cloistered in like neighborhoods but not really hiding you know like they come they go out and about they're everywhere they're middle upper middle class but what's interesting is as it's get bigger and bigger now it's getting like huge funding and stuff you know like now it's getting like corporations involved and like these really really rich indians are moving over here and like have these huge corporations that are like global like money transfer companies and it companies and employment companies and it seems that they're probably getting some serious political power starting to build behind them and i just wonder now that they're kind of getting to a point of immense power and having political and the ability to have influence that the pictures of these CEOs and stuff are starting to look a little different to me. You know, it's like, what, are, what is the agenda? What, what are they? They're making groups for themselves to support themselves to empower their people in this area. And they're pretty soon going to account for nearly 25%, if not more of the population. Is that okay? Does that matter? Mm. my knee jerk is to say no it doesn't matter except for the fact that not that i would but that i'm not allowed to there's not a lot there's like no white people yeah there's no or forsyth county whatever it was composed of before this it it can't go uh oh we've been here for hundreds of years and it's been away however it's been it's not all been bad like that's a 
bullshit narrative. It's not just was just like a Ku Klux mm-hmm. Klan murder fest down here. Like, give me a break. It hasn't all been like that. Right. So it's like good there's something bad. here. There's yeah. it's so good that everyone wants to come. Actually, that's how good it is. So whether white people or whites and Mexicans, whatever, Forsyth Canyons, should they have? You know what I'm saying? Like there's there's nothing there mm. for them. There's no. But if they're if if one emerged, we already the narrative's already built. So I don't know. Is that is that weird? Is that okay? I don't know. It's weird to me. I don't know. It's like a fallacy or some sort of like flaw to me in the race logic or Well, here's a weird statistic. This is this was given on one of the websites. Think you have to think about it for a second cuz it it falls on your ears and you go, "Oh, okay." And then if you think about what it means, you're like, "Wait a minute. That's a really weird sentence." By 2035, more than 50% of the population of Forsyth County will be minority. Does that seem yeah. weird to you? Like that yeah, sentence doesn't the... actually make any sense. No, this is the stuff, yeah, that I'm saying. There's something wonky about what's going on because it doesn't actually make logical sense because even minority, like they had to stop calling them minority groups because they aren't. Like the single largest demographic in America is white women. But women are, are a minority. minority group. Right. And so you're like, they're literally a majority, though. So they can't be a minority. Well, neither, which can, neither can 49% align. can't be right. a majority. Exactly. So how can... And That's what and I'm 15, saying. Yeah. 51% can't be the minority. That's like, what are you even writing? How do you even write that? How does that sentence come out of your... Like, how do you type that out and read it and go, yep. That sounds right. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. The definition is kind of weird because it's like you have to be the majority and be prejudiced, but then it doesn't apply to things like women because women are in the majority. So yeah, their definition isn't even functional. It's so you're literally like, been. It's the opposite of what they say. It's like that whole thing where they say, "I am what I say you are." Oh yeah, probably like projecting because. It's like actually, I'm saying literally, but like literally, like I literally mean it. Like actually what's happening is that one group is being stereotyped. One group is being pigeonholed and it actually isn't any of the minority groups. Those, all of them are scrutinized, picked through, made sure that each thing is in its place. Each one gets its day, its hearing, its voice, and this. There's, But there is one group that doesn't get that. And they... Are, it's, everyone is racist against this one group, and it's white people. All white people get put in one group, like that all whites. So it's like that's how you, come you can say 51% will be minority, but you're already bifurcating it into a dichotomy by saying it's any group that's not white because white will be 49%, and that's still hegemonic because we've said it's a singular group mm-hmm, but if but mm-hmm. if it, if you broke it up the same way you broke up the census data on everyone else might be different yeah it sure, wouldn't there's plenty be of that ways way. to break it up that it would be different that you'd have different results and whatnot yeah no i think the the flaw the major flaw in the thinking to me is it's just not a proper way to carry us forward in perpetuity because when does the retribution stop 
And I, it's actually interesting. Like the first story, I started reading the Mahabharata, which is a great Indian epic, which just means it's like a, a story of stories. And it's very, very old. And the first story is actually about this very thing. And I found it very striking where basically it's like these people want to kill some snakes and they get this, the snakes up together. You know, they get a big fire and they're going to throw all of the snakes into the fire. And the reason is because the person who was leading the people to gather up the snakes and throw them in the fire had someone, someone that they knew, I think maybe their father or their brother or something, had been killed by a snake. And so they were taking retribution against the snakes. And they were saying, the snakes have, you know, hurt our people. They've bitten us and killed humans forever. And they were going to throw them into the fire. And then, you know, uh, a holy person, like a priest or whatever, comes around and and, you know, sort of says, like, and the message of the story really is, like, when does this end? Because if you do this, you are doing the same thing that got you into the situation that you are in right now, which is that you are enacting retribution against the snakes because the snakes wronged you, and you're about to wrong the snakes. And what's to say that they're not going to enact retribution against the humans later? You know, so it's like this is an endless cycle that you can never escape. And so they're like, when does this end? Like, it has to end somewhere. And this is an endless loop. And I thought that was a very profound story. And it's interesting that it was documented so, so long ago. Like this story is thousands of years old. And I was like, that's exactly what's going on with like these race relation things. Because it's like we have to, you know, give reparations to the people who've been harmed. And there's so many problems with that because it's not even like we're giving – we can't even identify, if we just give it on the color of your skin, like not all those people were enslaved, not all their ancestors were enslaved. There are other people who, you know, had been enslaved and their ancestors were enslaved. So it's like, it's very complicated. I don't even know how you would do it if you were to do it. And there's but, probably Indians coming over that are coming from families that for that for a thousand years have been richer than any of my descendants have ever been ever. They may be high born. Right. So like, who knows? There's so much, yeah. So it's like, where do you, but then, so if you just take the, the seemingly stance that we have as like this cultural narrative has where it's like we need to, you know, white people have been in power too long and we need to lift up non-white people. And then it's like to what end, though? That's not that's like not the American dream. That's not equality for everyone. That's not equal opportunity. That is selective opportunity. And when does that end? Because once, like you're saying, once white people are no longer the majority, once white people don't have opportunities, do we continue the policy of but, you know, but they always, privilege non-white people? Like, when does it stop? If you group all white people together, then they always will be the majority because all the brown people get to be broken up into, well, Mexicans, Puerto Ricans, South Americans of different places. Mm. Like, they all get their – each one gets their own voice. You know, so it's not even South Americans. It's like people from Brazil, people from Peru, people from wherever, all these different countries and places. And those people are as similar to each other as white people are to each other. But you're breaking them up, South Americans up, but North Americans or United States people don't get to be broken up that way. They're all the same. So that's how, that's what I was saying. Like you can end up with, 90% of the country is minority, but white people will never be a lot of voice because they'll always be grouped together because I'm white and I'm from the white 
group because you say I am, but who I would never join a white cause except for now you're trying to come at me with a power game, a power play. And so I have to defend myself on the grounds in the, in the arena that you're confronting me on, which is my whiteness, which is fucking bullshit. Because I don't fucking relate to that at all. It means nothing to me. Like you fucking said a minute ago, we were all kind of just white already. We those So since we all were, we never thought about that difference. We thought about all the other differences between us. Protestant, Catholic, Irish, British. These are distinctions that have always mattered until recently. Now they don't matter at all. You're all white. And now defend yourself on that term. Mm. Yeah, I went to this, uh, not the Civil War Museum. I think I did go to that. But I was in Washington, D.C., and I was at the National Cemetery, Arlington. And they have uh, some posters there and historic things and documents and things you can read. And one of the things was about General Lee, who was the general of the Confederate Army, and he was in Virginia. And he actually, they talked about how he was a supporter of, like, the Union Like, he wanted the union, like, in terms of, you know, the government and whatever. And when it came down to fighting, he was like, when Virginia went with the South, the Confederates, he was like, I mean, it was ideas or family. And he was like, obviously, like, I'm going to fight with my family, like, my communities down here. Right. Like, this is where I live. Um, I'm not going to fight against these people, even though ideologically, I think this war is ridiculous. Like, I don't agree, you know, like, why are we killing each other? Like, I think the union is fine, you know? And so it was just something interesting to me where it was like, you can just kind of get swept up into these things. And and really, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think you just care about local stuff. Like, what really are you going to fight for? And it's like, well, my community. I'm not going to fight for this idea. I'm going to fight for the people around me not dying that I've lived with my entire life. Yeah. You know, and I'm fine. That's why I kind of feel comfortable talking about the Indian people. Cause I actually don't have any real opinion of them other than they're everywhere. And that's not an opinion. And I would say 99% of the interactions I've had with them around here have like been totally normal and natural. We, yeah. we may be really yeah. similar. I have no, idea. you know what I mean? Like we don't notice anything except for the fact that the yearbook is now Brown. You know, and there's nobody in there. It's like, it's it's a very interesting to see that. And it's just like, I have no problem with people being part of the county. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't really matter as long as everything is, like, we got to be on the same page. Or at least, you know, we, you know what? We don't even have to be on the same page, but you got to say what your page is. Because we're, there's already conflict here. There's already Democrats and Republicans here. We kind of need to know what's going on. You know, we kind of need to know where do you fit here? And if you don't fit anywhere and you're doing your own thing, which they seem to be, they built a 60 acre cricket stadium. They have all this money behind them, all these big organizations behind them. They're creating these big, these really powerful groups and everything. And it's like, are you going to be number one? Like, is this going to be like the place where Indians are and this is like the Indian town where Indians run things and we're gonna have an Indian mayor and Indian council members because they're pretty sober people and they might work I could see them very quickly working their way into those positions very quickly very easily and probably doing a better job than we're doing 
Yeah, and is it good? Is it bad? Is it a problem? Like, how do we deal with it? It is interesting because I just it's don't know like, how you're yeah, supposed. I, mean, I, just, I, I just don't know. Like, how do you deal with like a massive, massive immigration into a town where you've been your whole life? I don't know. Yeah, because part of it is like the American dream to me. It's like everybody can come and do their own thing and have their own community. And so, on one level, I'm like, yeah, that's that's America, man. Like, that's awesome. But then I also think on another level, it is like challenging, though. It's changing. The, it's probably going to change the culture for sure, which is always is changing. It's just weird. Well, it's challenging for the community, too, because it's like people just have different interests. And so when thinking about like, you know, how do we prioritize resources and what do we build in this city and what kinds of things do we have here? It's like. Yeah, like we we're from Georgia. We have like things called the biscuit barn. Like, but now we also have all these new things popping up, like Indie Fresh and Hindi Valahasha. There's all these things around. And I'm like, I don't Indian even know what these places are. And markets. Yeah, yeah, I don't even know. I've never been. There's literally, but there's they're everywhere. Like the Patel brothers. There's this. There's that. And it's like, and like my meanwhile, business barn is going out of business, <laughs> or bis- biscuit barns. Go, you know, shut down. <laughs> business barns going out of biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the intro. (laughs) But uh, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, so, which is fine. But like, if I want to be around biscuit people, (laughs) you know, like, what do I do? I don't know. Maybe I just don't get to have biscuits anymore. I don't know. Yeah, it's just change or something. Maybe we all just have to get over that and work with it. And it's, it's painful at times. And, but yeah, it does seem a little weird because I think naturally just the majority will get. They'll get the say on what happens the most to the community because they are making up most of its constituents. And so, I mean, if you can even think about it in that way, depending on, you know, like if you can group people like that, um, like who's the majority? Like, could we really say that all these Indian people are even the same? Like, there's probably a lot of. Who knows? Maybe it's Patel versus some other type of name or what or cast or whatever. I'm sure it is broken. I mean, there's like whole neighborhoods. So, I mean, you know, but I'm sure it's like Mexicans and Puerto Ricans or like Chinese people and Japanese people. They do not think of themselves as the same. They don't think of themselves as Asians, you know? Right. You do have something, though, where it's like the people who have lived in the area, regardless of who they are, probably do identify with the area. So it would be like if you're and it's from a, Yeah, and it's a problem with. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I'm interrupting. If you're from X City, you're probably like, I, that's who I am. You know, I got all this. My culture is this, you know, the way things are here. And if a bunch of people come, like, immigrate to that area, I could see how that would be maybe jarring. It's weird. Bringing an outside culture in. You watched White Lotus, right? No. Oh, shit. You got to watch White Lotus. It's hilarious. (laughs) It's just funny. But there, it's, and it's really, I mean, I will say it's like some of the best content i've seen in a long time like it's really expertly executed and it's great commentary on like class and everything because it's just like they're it, everyone kind of is rich you know so it's like these vapid rich empty vassals at the same time they have lives and problems and it's deep so but there's this one uh, season that takes place on like a like a resort and the natives live there so it's like some island you know like hawaii or something i don't know mm. and because it's like a resort place now, it's like everything's just white, kind of like almost like a white invasion in a way, you know. Like now all the, yeah. the all the Touristy Hawaiian people, white stuff. yeah. So the wh- Hawaiians work for the big white castle 
building with all the oh white owners. You know what I mean? So that that's part it's of ridiculous. the commentary. And so we look at that, at least the way it's exposed to us in that context. And we go, that's not right. That is kind of wrong. Like, that's not Hawaii. That's some embassy suites vibe thing. They threw up and put palm trees inside and outside and all over and big walls and everyone here's rich and everyone works there is poor and everyone on the island has nothing and that they don't even live that way anyways they don't even know how to want that really you know and only the really young ones work there because they're the only ones adaptable to that level of change and kind of get it and are, it's worth the money and yada 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 so we see that and we're like that's like a white colonizing invasion whatever all these different ways they contextualize that sure and then i look at that on the flip side again it only works if you group all white people together but it's like that's happening here, at least very local to me. It is 100% the case. Like we are totally on our own here versus the Indian population on in the, I'll call it in the Shiloh because everything around me is Shiloh, this Shiloh, that Shiloh <laughs> road, Shiloh West, Shiloh, everything. So in this Shiloh place, we're the minority and it's just, should I think about it like that? Should I think this yeah. is a cultural invasion of some other culture and they're putting up all their shops and their stores and they're fucking taking over? I mean, it's fucking Indian colonization. Yeah, I mean, and then too, I think, uh, yeah, because economists would say too, like maybe you look at the touristy stuff and and say, oh, that's bad. It's, you know, an invasion of culture or whatever. But you could also say, but partly like those are mutually beneficial negotiations going on. Like, those people are contracting with one another, meaning like someone came and said, hey, I want to start this business. Like, will you work for me? Will you let me do this? Will you fund this if I give you this much money? And so it's like it's all mutually agreeable. That's why I and said then, if I knew you, I said, I don't care what stance you do have. I don't care if you're on my team or the other team, whatever that is. I just want to know what it is, which starts for me with going, why did they come here? And I just look it up real quick and it goes well, before I tell you that, did you know you're a bunch of fucking KKK members? You, you know, horrible, horrible people that you deserve any invasion you get anyways. Here's why they're invading. And it's like, uh, okay. That doesn't tell me why Fortune 100 companies are behind this or like funding all of these. I, I don't know. Is that happenstance? Is it not? I, I don't know. But like, I'd like to. I'd just like to know because I like Indian food. I think they care about their food a little more than most white Americans, especially sometimes down here in the South. So it's like, I might be going to Indie Fresh pretty soon to see what that market's like. Cause I bet it's full of organic stuff and spices you can't find anywhere else. And probably for a great price, to be honest, cause they're not gouging their own people. They're all about their own people. Everything's about them. That's why it's called Indie Fresh. That's why it's called the Patel brothers. Yeah. That's the ideal. Maybe it's like just, harmony you know like we can all just coexist and have our own little cultures that we don't have to I think partly like the race conversations like sometimes I feel like there's this presupposition of like one culture has to dominate and it's like but it doesn't like we yeah. can have a variety of cultures like coexisting like different communities of people you know you can have the German butcher shop and the Indian market and the yeah. Japanese you know oriental shop or yeah. whatever I used to live in the China, the quote unquote Chinatown of Georgia, like Duluth, basically, like everything was Asian. And we at the time really enjoyed it because it was cool. Like everything was just different. You know, you go like every shop was just wild, you know, and it was right. And so that's fun. fine. I don't think people yeah, care. And it's like, why is that not more part of our conversations? Like, yeah, the Danes invade and then you're just like, 
hey, actually, the Danes have a pretty cool way of life. What are you guys going to do here? Okay, that's fine. I mean, like, I'm probably going to open a biscuit barn because I still, I'm never going to stop liking biscuits, you know, but right. that's fine. And you know what? One day, trust me, you'll try a chicken egg and cheese biscuit and you're going to be like, damn, that is good. And now you can come to my shop too. Right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, there's something more sinister going on. That's what I sense is actually that the race conversation, like this diversity equity is the vehicle for some of our less desirable traits as human beings. Yeah. Like I think I think there's the, zero chance if I go to Indie Fresh that anybody goes white. Get out of here, white boy. Zero chance. And I think if it did happen, there'd be something going on, you know, like you'd be like, what did you just say to me? You know, and then it'd be like, well, maybe that you'd fight that person or maybe you talk to him, you know, it'd be like or maybe you never go back to that shop. You know, like, I don't yeah. know. It just would work itself out. I feel like the real problem would be like if someone like if, you know, if something really bad starts happening, like people get up in arms, you know, and start trying to be like, we're going to go take these people out. Uh, well, then we got a problem. You know, we need to start really thinking about that. But I also think how do things get to that point is partly what's going on with storytelling discussions and relations and yeah. the way we're talking about diversity, where we're like, these people are the harborers of all the negative attributes of humanity. And these people are the conduits of all the virtues. And you're like, wait, that sounds like genocidal thinking. That sounds like the reason it why is. we needed to eradicate the Jews, you know, like. Yeah, like what? it's going to be a lot harder for me to again? walk in to Indie Fresh if you're going to keep telling all the everyone that you call a minority, which is anyone who's not white, and you keep saying stuff about white people as a group, then you're going to make people think of me as a white person as a way, being a way, which is don't call me a white person. Call me something more descriptive. Call me a redneck. Because at least right. you'd be right at least 10% of the time about your stereotypes. Whereas if you say white people, that is so broad. It's ridiculous. And I think, yeah, we all know the ideal is like, see me as I am. See me as an individual. The individual is the proper level of analysis. Is like, no one is a stereotype. Like, everyone has an individual character. Yeah, and you could probably get a little yeah. bit from me if I go travel somewhere and they go, well, where are you from? Like, if you go to like, if I went to Oregon and people were confused why I act a certain way or sound away, or think certain opinions. And then I said, well, I'm from Georgia. They'd go, oh, okay. Like, where are you from? Like, we keep butting heads, and I don't know how to talk to you. Oh, it's because I believe in guns, and I'm, like, very familiar with Christianity and all sorts of Protestant religions, like Baptists and Methodists and all this stuff. I know how sure, those people yeah. talk. You know, like, I can talk to any of these kinds of people, but way out there on the other side of the country... They don't know anything about that or they might, but they don't interact with it. So they all think the same things and they won't understand why, like why I have some different. Right. Or it's just different. Things. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even the same. Yeah. Different people, different area of the country. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So anyways. Oh, oh.